Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress. Welcome to Progress After Dark here on Channel 127. Thank you, Dean Obadala and your amazing team for being a great live lead-in. We're not too shabby either. Chris Hauselt is producing this show out of South Carolina. The great Thea Harper produces this show out of uh, Brooklyn. I come to you from Manhattan. We've been working like this for three and a half years, people. And in all that time, we have built a broadcast that I promise will bring you to the brink of being entertained. We have a lot of ground to cover tonight. We have some good guests. Some of our favorites are on the show. And um, as always, when I say our favorites, I, I mean you guys. Because, you know, maybe you're someone who listens to this show all the time. You're you're part of our evil, evil army of the night. You, you, you call, you weigh in, you, you give your opinions. Shucks, today's Mel Brooks's, what, 96th birthday? 97th birthday? I mean, 97. You know, maybe you call in, tell us your favorite Mel Brooks movie, what have you. You know how it is. But I'm reaching beyond the people who call up. I love our evil army of the night. You're always welcome at 866-997-4748. But tonight... Between Donald Trump's shifting lies and defenses about the documents, between this bizarre spectacle we have seen in Russia of a mutiny that wasn't a mutiny, and the guy who did the mutiny is banned from the country, but he's not going to be hurt, but people who might have helped him are going to die for it. It's a lot of madness. Uh, We have got a couple of our favorites on the show tonight. The great Bob Seska joined us in hour number one to go through, well... All the politics. In hour number two, we're going to do a deep dive on what is happening in Russia with um, the great David Rothkopf, uh, author, Daily Beast columnist, Columbia University professor, former member of the Clinton administration. He's got a great piece in the Daily Beast called Putin is conveying nothing but weakness because the only thing scarier than Vladimir Putin is the amorphous question mark that might replace him. Only one day till Indiana Jones opens. So pretty soon we'll all know if if we're surprised and delighted or completely disappointed. Either way, we'd love to hear from you guys. And if you're part of our army of daywalkers, you listen on demand, on the app, on the John Fugelsang podcast. We love you guys. Listen, call in. Let us hear your voices. I'm, I'm sure the, you know, regulars will be happy to move over for you. I think we're all set, right? Uh, we got a show to do. Let's get Started. We are celebrating the 97th birthday of Mel Brooks, actor, director, producer, screenwriter, and friend of this show. I just want to begin by saying I, I have a pretty rough last name. 
Fugelsang. I, I know I chose it to be more ethnic and get more work in Hollywood. Fugelsang is an ancient Navajo Indian term. It, it means uh, lactose intolerant. And over the course of my adolescence, I was called anything you can imagine by my peers. Uh, Frusenglaja, Farfignugan, Fugelstein, uh, pretty, anything beginning with F.U. Really just rolled off the tongue for my formative years. And I want to tell you, all of my childhood scars of kids making fun of my last name were miraculously healed. The first time Mel Brooks came on this show and made fun of my last name. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mel Brooks. Um, also, we hope you're okay, Madonna. Uh, I hope you're out of the hospital and back in no time. What could cause a bacterial infection so bad the person has to be hospitalized? I don't know. It's none of my business. I hope you're okay. Let's get to it. Let's do a show. Joe Biden has uh, landed in Chicago. He's doing a couple of high-dollar fundraisers. One of them is hosted by the billionaire governor, J.B. Pritzker. And he gave a speech today on Bidenomics. It seems like he's not worried about that term anymore. You know, less than two weeks ago, he was talking to some union workers, and he said he brought up Bidenomics, and he said, I don't know what the hell that is. But you remember how Barack Obama had to deal with the Affordable Care Act being called Obamacare? <laughs> as opposed to Republican can't care. I, I mean, I have no problem with calling it Obamacare, as long as you call Social Security FDR care and Medicare LBJ care um, and cutting taxes for rich people that don't need it. Trump and W care. I'm fine with it. But eventually, Barack Obama embraced the term Obamacare. And it seems like Joe Biden is beginning to align himself with the White House communication shop and use the term to run on his own economic record. And I, I got to tell you, um, it might be working because Bidenomics has been trending nationwide for two days in a row. They've made a choice in this campaign. They're going to own this economy. And if Republicans try to blame them for a slowdown, well, they'll face the facts and they'll, they'll deal with it if there is a slowdown in the next year and a half. But after all of the inflation talk and the supply chain talk, they stood firm. They kept on doing the opposite of Republican trickle-down economics. Republican trickle-down economics targets the wealthiest with tax cuts they don't need, hoping that those folks will spend so much money and not just invest it all that it'll trickle down to help ordinary people. And it never really works. What Joe Biden's doing to me is much closer to what Dwight Eisenhower did after World War II, a direct investment in the American middle class. And it trickles up, it trickles down, it spreads all over the place. You know, the debt ceiling's raised. The Fed's rate hiking plans, it, it seems to have more or less tamed inflation. We're at least doing a lot better on inflation now than we were two years ago. So for the next 16 months, the debate will be, is Bidenomics working or should we go back to more trickle-down. Um, so Wall Street Journal first used the term in April of 2021, and he said, uh, while the successor to neoliberalism lacks a label, Bidenomics will do for now. It's pretty inspiring to think that this is the term we're going to use for the opposite of trickle-down. It got bigger when Kevin McCarthy used it in May of 2021. Uh, back then he said, Bidenomics is about blind faith in government spending and regulations, as opposed to, I guess, Trickle-down economics, which is blind faith in the kindness of billionaires. So there's a couple of realities about our economy. And if this president at age 82 is going to be running once again for another term, he's going to be having to reckon with all of it. The misery index. You know that it's the mix of the unemployment rate plus the inflation. That's gone down a lot over the last year. But at the same time, 
the numbers are better. I mean, any economic metric, and we're going to go through a few, the numbers are much better. But people don't think they are. Only one in four Americans report the country's economic conditions are in good shape right now. Now, why is that? These are the two dynamics that are going to be cornerstones of the fight for our economy. The fact that things are doing better on paper, the fact that a lot of Americans aren't noticing it yet. Something that Barack Obama had to struggle with as well. Here's Joe Biden in Chicago on the origin of the term Bidenomics. I knew we couldn't go back to the same failed policies when I ran. So I came into office determined to change the economic direction of this country. To move from trickle-down economics to what everyone on Wall Street Journal and Financial Times began to call Bidenomics. I didn't come up with the name. I really didn't. I now claim it, but they're the ones who used it first. I got asked by a press person this morning, getting on a helicopter in Washington, why, when I asked you about Bidenomics a long time ago, you said you didn't know what it was. I said, I didn't name it Bidenomics. I didn't realize the economist in the Wall Street Journal did. But I think it's a plan that I'm happy to call Bidenomics. Now, let's talk about Bidenomics. Let's talk about the American Rescue Plan. Because when we talk about what Joe Biden has actually done for the middle class, we're going to have to repeat it and remind ourselves a lot. Uh, It's the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package. Remember that Biden pushed through Congress? They passed it March of 2021. That's the plan that gave out the 1,400 stimulus checks to most households, gave a lot of unemployment benefits. It provided more aid to small businesses. Did a lot of people rip it off? Absolutely, they did. Did it also lead to the lowest rate of child poverty in the history of this country? Yeah, it did. And they had to spend the money. I mean, I know Trump spent $4 trillion on COVID relief measures in 2020, but we were in danger of slipping back into recession. Four million fewer jobs would have been created in 2021 if he hadn't spent it. Now, our inflation is 4%. It's lower than the 6.1% in the European area. I mean, Biden has this strategy, I should say, not Biden. His policies have created a record 13 million jobs in two and a half years. The share of 25 to 54 year olds looking for jobs or working right now is at 83.4%, the highest in 16 years. Pay for the low wage workers has grown at the fastest pace in over two decades. And also look at this administration, what they've succeeded. Investing in our infrastructure, boosting clean energy, encouraging chip manufacturing in the U.S., which is going to return so many manufacturing jobs to the U.S., and the Inflation Reduction Act lowers prescription drugs costs, and it caps insulin prices at 35 a month for seniors. Now, what did the news cover today? I'll tell you what the news covered today. Nothing in his speech. The news talked about CPAP and Iraq. You've heard about CPAP. Am I saying it right, Chris? Is it pronounced CPAP? It's like CPAC, right? Yeah. Biden recently began using a CPAP machine like millions of Americans to treat his sleep apnea. And reporters asked about it because today Biden gave this speech. Again, no one asked any questions about the numbers in the speech. No one asked him about the economic successes. They asked him about the marks on his face because he's been sleeping. He's he's had sleep apnea. He revealed that 15 years ago. And he often uses CPAP machines, the White House revealed today. And sometimes you put these things on your face and it leaves a little groove the next morning. Bloomberg News first reported it. And again, he's using it to improve his sleep quality like millions of Americans and millions of seniors who watch Fox News. (laughs) Jesse Waters was trying to make it sound like he's an invalid. 
because he has a CPAP machine. Again, the media was complaining or just highlighting Joe Biden using a machine to help him sleep with sleep apnea more than they ever talked about Donald Trump having COVID at a debate and lying about it and breathing on everybody. That's all you need to know about mainstream media's priorities. They're going to keep on trying to take down Joe Biden in the mainstream media. Why? Well, two reasons. Number one, the media is only as liberal as the corporations that own it. And the people who own the media, they want Trump. They like the ratings. They like their tax cuts. That's pretty much it. The, the people who own the media want Trump. And the people who report the media, well, some of them might want Biden. Journalists have to cover the truth. But in news-driven media, they're not going to be trying to help the boring old guy. They want the racist lunatic. Now, again, uh, sleep apnea is widespread. They think about 10% of people worldwide have it. And the White House physician said Biden's fit for duty. But it didn't matter. <laughs> now, and again, does it sound like I'm in the tank for Joe Biden? Let me be clear about this, because I get accused of this a lot. I'm not. I'm not a Democrat. Joe Biden was not my first choice for president in 2020. He was not my second choice for president in 2020. But I've been dazzled at how much this man is trying to help people, how much this man cares, how much he's trying. And I got to be honest, how much he's achieved. Show me another Democrat that would be able to pass this much legislation with a Democratic Senate that has two ringers in it and is completely divided evenly with a vice president being tiebreaker. Show me a president who can go up against this kind of obstruction. I, I don't think Barack Obama was able to pull this much off. But again, I'll criticize Biden all day long. You know where one area I'll criticize him? He was the first president in my lifetime to publicly oppose the death penalty. And he said he was going to do something about it. It's two years later. What has he done? The Biden administration has taken no action at all to eliminate the practice of putting prisoners to death. And I'm saying this Catholic to Catholic. OK, uh, the death penalty is against the Bible. It's against the Catholic Church. It's against everything Jesus taught. Joe Biden ran, said he would get rid of it. I was impressed. I was surprised. He's done nothing. The DOJ has reinstated their execution moratorium because Donald Trump couldn't kill enough people. And the DOJ has reduced the number of death sentences they're seeking. But they're still actively defending all the existing death sentences. And they're trying to expand death row. So there you go. Joe Biden broke promise. Call him out for it. That's how it works. We're not a cult on this side. We will call them out and hold their feet to the fire. But Joe Biden's reelection, it's going to rest really on perception, on Americans having the perception that the economy is getting better. And 52% of Americans say the U.S. is too expensive to live in. I feel that way and I support Joe Biden. Yeah, prices are high, but the economy keeps adding jobs. And the fact is, the president's not getting more credit for the economy that, by so many measures, is really thriving, certainly compared to where we were three years ago. The CBO projected it would take until 2026 for unemployment to drop back down below 4%. What happened instead? Unemployment fell below 4% in 2021, five years ahead of what was estimated. And it stayed there for the longest period in more than half a century. This economy again, has added 13 million jobs since Biden took office. But that includes nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Unemployment rates for African-Americans, people with disabilities, Hispanic-Americans, they reached record lows. 
And a recent survey found that job satisfaction is at its highest level in 36 years. A lot of employers are offering better pay, better benefits, better schedules to attract and retain workers. We're seeing workplaces as we know it evolve in the wake of COVID-19 with remote learning. And the employers just added 339,000 jobs last month. This economy keeps growing. Republicans are talking about everything except the economy. And you know why? Because they know things are getting better for hardworking Americans faster than Republicans want them to. In spite of this, the Associated Press had another poll that showed only 33% of adults say they approve of Joe Biden's handling of the economy. Why do you think the disconnect is there? The numbers don't lie. Perceptions can. But the people aren't getting the words. People do support the president's agenda. They support the policies. Data for Progress found American voters support uh, 68% support for the Inflation Reduction Act. 76% support the Infrastructure Investment Act and the Jobs Act. 72% of Americans support the Chips and Science Act. And, and voters support Biden's plans to lower costs around the industries, healthcare to techs, tech to the junk fees we were talking about and ticketing. 85% of Americans support Biden's policy letting Medicare negotiate drug prices. 64% support breaking up big tech firms. Are we allowed to say that? 79% support the Junk Fees Prevention Act, and I predict that number is going to go up next year. Most Americans support arming Ukraine. They had a two-day poll. Reuters and Ipsos did. Concluded it yesterday. Showed a sharp rise in support for arming Ukraine. It was only 46% of Americans supported our arms shipments in May. Now, a month later, 65%. Look, Biden's got a lot to run on, and here he is on the success of an economic policy that he hopes will put a nail in the trickle-down Reaganomics, Wnomics, Maganomics economic coffin. And guess what? Bidenomics is working. When I took office, the pandemic was raging and our economy was reeling. Supply chains were broken. Millions of people unemployed. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses on the verge of closing after so many had already closed. Literally hundreds of thousands on the verge of closing. Today, the U.S. has the highest economic growth rate leading the world economies since the pandemic. The highest in the world. As Dick said, with his help, we've created 13.4 million new jobs. More jobs in two years than any president has ever made in four, in two. And folks, it's no accident. That's Bidenomics in action. Bidenomics is about building an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. And there are three fundamental changes that we decided to make with the help of the Congress and been able to do it. First, making smart investments in America. Second, educating and empowering American workers to grow the middle class. And third, promoting competition to lower costs to help small businesses. Danny's right. And did the media report that today? No. The highest post-pandemic growth in the G7. The lowest inflation. 13 million jobs created. Every job lost during COVID came back. But Joe Biden had a gaffe this morning. And that made all the headlines. He uh, he actually has been trying to deal with the ageism. We talk about it all the time. There's a great piece in Politico today about how Jeffrey Katzenberg has been begging Biden to use humor to address the issue head on. 
Um, and Katzenberg said in the Wall Street Journal on Sunday, if Harrison Ford, 80 years old, can star in the new Indiana Jones movie, and the Rolling Stones' Mick Jagger, who turns 80 next month, can strut around a stadium stage, Biden should lean into his longevity as a sign of wisdom and experience while offering a sense of humor about it. Which sounds good, but again, we're dealing with a president who is 80 and has a stutter. He's old. I have nothing against him being old. I've said it many times. I'd rather have a president who needs a nap than a president who needs more defense attorneys. But today, Biden made a slip up that, well, shucks, I'll admit I've made. He came out and said that Russian President Vladimir Putin is clearly losing the war in Iraq. Now, I got to be honest, for like 15 years, when we said the war in, we always said Iraq, maybe Afghanistan once in a while. And over the last 15 months, there have been so many times in talking about this Ukraine invasion and occupation where I've called it the war in Iraq, Ukraine. There's a K in it, a vowel, the K sound, you know. So that's what trended all day. Not the economic record. Because the media doesn't care about how much the economy's recovered. The media cares about ratings. The media wants Trump. That's the way it's going to be, folks. That's the uphill lifting we're going to have to do for the next several months. And think about that. In spite of the tremendous economic record, the media is going to talk about every time this old man fucks up. Be ready for it. Don't let it make you angry. This is the game. We got to talk about the facts. We got to talk about the record. We have to talk about the policies because the policies work and the policies are more popular than the Congress. And just remember one thing about Iraq and all those right wingers who are making fun of Joe Biden and so upset that Joe Biden said the war in Iraq today. The people who were fine when we invaded the wrong country were really upset that Joe Biden said the wrong word. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang, wishing a happy 97th birthday to friend of the show, 
Mel Brooks. Right now, however, it's time to bring on the great Bob Seska, who maybe you fell in love with him on the Stephanie Miller Show. Maybe you fell in love with the columns on the Daily Banter or Salon.com. Maybe you're with it enough, you're hip enough, you're, dare I say, woke enough to listen to his excellent podcast, which combines great music and politics in a way I can only dream of. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Bob Seska. Hello, Bob. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. You want to talk about The Flash? We can talk about The Flash if you want. You saw The Flash, right? You did see it, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, at this I point, did. Bob, I, said, yeah. I, I feel like whenever we get you here for a segment, we, we owe it to all the nerds out there to at least do a, a, a brief fantasy sci-fi bit yeah, to this. Because I am, uh, having been raised Catholic, I can believe whatever I want to believe and willfully exclude facts that go against my worldview. So I'm choosing to believe <laughs> that Indiana Jones is going to be terrific and I can't wait. Um but the flash i i got to say i i didn't think it would do this badly i didn't think we'd see a Either 70% not. drop off the weekend later and i don't think they can blame this on the private behaviors of the lead actor i just don't think that those stories are prevalent enough to keep fans away i think you're right and in fact i saw it on opening day uh, in wide release and i bought my tickets in advance i guess everyone does that now it, by the way it's been since 2019 since i've been in a movie theater this was my first wow it's your theater first experience. one yeah uh, since rise see, of skywalker in you don't you don't you don't have a nine-year-old i've been seeing so many movies in the theater it's been atrocious yeah. i wear a mask under my mask but go ahead please go on <laughs> Yeah, but I ordered my tickets in advance, showed up thinking that it was going to be a jam-packed theater, and oh my God, I think there were five other people in there. It was wow. really kind of sad, and uh, but I was happy about that because I could automatically socially distance. That was nice. I didn't have to wear my mask because everyone was at least <laughs> five, six rows away from me, you know, right. all five other people in the theater. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a, a good experience. I, I actually kind of liked it. I, I, I thought it was That's what fun. I keep hearing. Mehdi Hassan loved it. All these people I really respect thought it was a blast. Yeah, yeah. It was not the greatest superhero movie, not the greatest comic book movie I've ever seen, uh, but I thought it was... Uh, well, here's my assessment. This is what my assessment is based on. Uh, I caught myself laughing a lot. I was like, wow, I've laughed like a dozen times so far. This is great. And I think what did it for me was uh, the thing that won me over is that opening scene where the Flash has to rescue all those babies. And it's not those of you who haven't seen it yet. I don't think I'm Me meaning, meaning most most of us, meaning meaning most of us, most of the movie, most of the movie ticket buying public. Yes. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what I loved about that is that within the first five minutes of this movie, they just decided, hey, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to throw 12 babies out of a window of a collapsing hospital. And the Flash is going to have to save all of these babies in midair. It involved scalpels coming close to hitting one of the babies. He had to put one of the babies in a microwave. I mean, it was great. It ended You're making me really want to see it now. I, lo I, I loved yeah, how they I did the Flash stuff in the Justice League movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it reminded me of something that James Gunn might do. I know James Gunn didn't have anything to do with the writing or directing of this movie, but it was something that you would see probably in The Suicide Squad or Peacemaker or something like that. It Both had of which that I devilish, loved. naughty aspect to it. Like, we're right. going to endanger babies in the first five minutes. Everything's going to be fine, and there's going to be a stupid pun at the end of it. But ultimately, we're going to throw babies out the window right away. So, and that's going to I set mean, the tone for this movie. Uh, 
Are, are DC Comics movies just cursed? I mean, when there's a great one, people turn out. The Dark Knight trilogy, the first Shazam, the first Wonder Woman, even the yeah. Lego Batman film all did great business and were all terrific movies. Uh, it just right. sort of seems like a lot of these coming right after Shazam 2 that they just keep having bad luck as, com- as compared to their Marvel friends. Well, there's a couple of problems here, John, as I see it. First of all, I think a lot of these movies are falling into a, uh, an exhausted formula. I think we all kind of generally know all of the beats, all of the three-act beats. That <laughs> no, go no, into Bob, this, this new Flash movie is about parallel universes. That's a new thing. Well, for co- Oh, no, wait. Actually, this, <laughs> yeah. the ninth movie about we just had a Best Picture winner mm-hmm. on this subject. It's, it's played out. You're right. Yeah, well, this movie has been in development hell for so long that it actually predated No Way Home. Uh, the wow. Spider-Man movie that was multiverse. So th- the whole idea of doing a Flash multiverse reset of the DCEU has been something that's been talked about for years and years and years. Uh, but that's part of the problem, too, the multiverse thing. Plus, I think it's a really confusing thing to absorb if you're a general audience member. If you're not wired into the comics, if you're not wired into these characters and the idea of multiple universes and therefore sure. variants of all of these characters showing <laughs> Again, up. Again, most people, most yeah. movie ticket most buyers, people. most most yeah. people, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and then the other thing is, I think it's getting, I, I think there's an oversaturation of characters. One of the things that works so well with the Infinity Saga, that first section of Marvel movies, it, it was all centered around an easy-to-remember group of whatever it was, a half a dozen or seven main characters that you're following throughout. Here we've got uh, maybe two dozen characters, and those two dozen characters have two dozen variants, and there's different timelines and then resetting of timelines. And with the DCEU, it's been all over the place stylistically. So I think there was some preconceived ideas from general audience members about these movies. And I think even the marvel movies are kind of suffering a little bit people can't keep up anymore we can keep up because we love this stuff but i think general audiences who compose the bulk of ticket sales these days are really confused they don't maybe they lost track of the streaming shows and that side of it and so they just give up yeah i mean i mean people who have sex uh might be having you know not able to pay this much attention to how many dr stranges and how many universe but you know what gets me down mr seska and then i want to get back at the politics but like i'm reading all these articles about the new indiana jones film and i i you know i'm hoping for the best i i don't cling to my religion of childhood but i i I still love it very much and everything i'm reading is like oh it's only going to have a 65 million dollar opening how much will it make opening weekend versus the, the the budget and it's like, I always heard the legends that back in the 70s, people talked about what's a director trying to say? What is this yeah. movie doing with this character? What have they done? One of the most beloved characters, and they made another movie of him. Did they pull it off? How does this affect the story? We don't hear anything talking about the artistic choices. It's all about the damn money. It gets me yeah, so down every time. God, I couldn't agree with you more, John. I'm so sick of talking about box office and business. I'm sick of calling these movies uh, being part of parts of franchises. I, I hate that word franchise being used to describe something that, when you boil it all down, is still an art form. And I think we need to reconnect with that idea. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that could save superhero movies, quite honestly, is going back to more of an auteur style. Yeah, and yeah. Maybe Jay, that maybe that's something James Gunn's going to bring to the DC. Maybe lower budget. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Making more street level, uh, grittier stories, perhaps. Uh, you know, obviously they can be fun, but I think if you bring them back down to something that's closer to Batman style villains rather than giant blue laser beams in Act Three and uh, weird CG devil monsters like we saw in Black Adam. I think yeah. if we get rid of that crap and start doing something that's a little more honest, like Peacemaker, I think things will be better for comic book movies. I agree. If I if I may just add, though, like you saw in Black Adam, motherfucker, like you saw. Uh, I still yeah, well, haven't, I, haven't I had the pleasure yet. I all through that one. <laughs> I missed a big... I, I fast-forwarded right on through Act 2, so I have no idea what happened in the middle of that movie. Well, let me ask yeah. you then, Mr. Seska, speaking of the topic of changing your narrative a bit, because yeah. uh, initially Donald Trump told us all that these documents were planted by the FBI in his home. Then Donald mm -hmm. Trump told us they were his personal property and you have to give them back to us. Now, after the most recent audio recording that dropped on Monday night, I know how much juries love criminal defendants who keep changing their story. Mm -hmm. Right now, the word is bravado. Trump was yeah. just saying he was exaggerating. He was bullshitting. It might be the first time Donald Trump's ever told the truth, and he did it about his lying. Isn't bravado just like locker room talk, which is to say, get off my case. I was just lying to impress people. Oh, it was absolutely bravado. The only thing is, it was with the actual Iran war plan document. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's unequivocal. It's incontrovertible listening to this tape. Now, it's funny, you were saying how he contradicts himself. Well, in the, there was a video that turned up of him, uh, maybe it was yesterday, reacting to the existence of this tape. And the first thing he said is, I haven't seen the tape. I haven't looked at the tape. Yeah. And then he said, my voice sounded great in the tape. Well, yeah. now, one no of one's seen the tape. Like the They've other. heard the tape. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's just oh. like, oh, my God, D do these people who love him and worship him, do they even hear what he's saying? No, anymore? no, Bob. Let no. me tell you, they call our show and they don't. They consume yeah. news that does not point out the hypocrisies and right. does not point out the contradictions. They live in a world where Hunter Biden is eating children and Donald Trump is the only thing standing in between America and oblivion. So, no, yeah. they're not critical thinkers on these. And I think that's why we see the polls as as close as they are. Uh, the new New Hampshire poll uh, for GE, Biden, 49 percent to Trump's 40 percent, Biden, 49 percent to DeSantis's 40 percent. That's the St. Anselm poll this week. That's that's nine point differential. That's pretty big. But we've seen just today polls that show Trump two points ahead of Biden, in spite of the fact that how many smoking guns can we get? He's going to be yeah. found guilty. The only question is, can he delay the trial until after the election? Well, just as a reminder to everyone about polls, first of, first of all, they're wildly uh, inaccurate. They're unreliable now. And I think we've seen that in many elections. The other thing is we're talking about national polls and national polls, as Hillary Clinton will tell you in 2016, are entirely irrelevant. It comes down to state level polls, who's winning in each state, therefore, who's going to get those electoral votes. So I'm unconcerned right now about general election polls that uh, won't ever come to fruition for another you know, year and a half or whatever it is until the uh, November 2024. But um, yeah, so this this may be just another one of those cases where you know we're watching the press we follow the horse race and i think so really i mean relevant about that yeah i mean quinnipiac uh, pennsylvania trump leads biden 47 to 46 but with independence in pennsylvania trump leads biden 51 percent 
to 37 percent. I began the show talking about Biden's actual economic record versus the polls that show people aren't getting the message of what this White House has accomplished. I think we see it reflected in a poll like that. Well, I saw a poll recently where, God, it must have been at least 60 percent of independent voters felt as though Donald Trump uh, broke the law and should go to prison. Yeah. So there are you can find something hopeful in these polls, too. The thing is, is you just got to throw everything out and 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 start paying attention, maybe a little bit closer to polls once we get to August 2024, Labor Day 2024, maybe that at the very earliest. Other than that, it's still just a big game right now. It's just a shell game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to mention, too, uh, before we move past the, the tape, there was something that I think isn't getting a whole lot of conversation at the very beginning of that Trump tape. Mm-hmm. And that is Donald Trump telling his ass kissing staffer who just, oh, my God, does she pucker up throughout this video <sighs> at the very beginning of it? He says to her, and I assume it's her. I assume it's this ass kissing staffer that we hear on the tape. He yes. says. Let me see that. And so what he's doing, if we can use the theater of the mind here and imagine what he's doing at this point, it's not too difficult to discern this, but he's pointing to the document on this big stack of papers. No wonder the Iran document is missing, by the way. They can't find mm-hmm. it. <laughs> just to, just oh, yeah. to update what everybody, it's gone. Yeah. Well, also, may- prob- maybe may- maybe search Bedminster at some point this year. Maybe. Go on, <laughs> yeah. Bob. I'm confident that Jack Smith has that ace up his sleeve with regard yeah. to Bedminster. I think that that's another shoe that's going to drop and we'll see that drop. But I think he's pointing to the document and asking his staffer to ha- hand him the document, which means that someone beside him who Had doesn't access. have any security clearance to see these documents has their hands on the folder and the documents that are contained in the folder, if not the actual document itself, and then yep. hands it to him. Oh, so yeah. there is a civilian who should never be seeing these documents. Even if the person had the highest security clearances and was sitting in a skiff, there's no reason to be looking at these things other than Donald Trump being reckless like always and violating the Espionage Act in the process and then taking everyone down with him all around. You know, it's like these these idiots get close to Donald Trump and they, you know, it's the uh, reason they explain the John Dean reason they explained in uh, yeah. in Gaslit last year, which is that, oh, well, the airplane seats are really comfortable <laughs> on Air Force One. But they get close to Donald Trump and they always end up getting screwed, John. This is something everyone who surrounds Donald Trump gets screwed in some way or another. Look at Walt Nauta. Poor Walt Nauta. Well, I don't say no, poor. no, no, don't no, feel no. Bad for uh, Walt don't feel bad for Walt Nauta. Please don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. By the way, we have a couple of comments. Uh, uh, listener uh, Paula Simpson says, this is the first time in months I was able to listen to the show live, and I can't fast forward past this completely Greek geek talk that means nothing to me. So there you go. That's why The Flash didn't do that well. Um, <laughs> that sounds like my, my, is that my ex-wife? Oh, my God. Jahari is calling from Michigan. Jahari, welcome. You're on Sirius XM with Bob Seska. Hey, John. Hey, Bob. Hey, um, hey. Bob, hey. I got I got to disagree with you. I thought okay. the Flash movie was whack as hell. Oh, no. <laughs> it was whack um, as hell. I read. Whack okay, okay. Just to give you some background. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a comic guy. I've been a comic guy for 30 years. Right on. So I know the Flash character. I know the DC characters. And, it's, and Warner Brothers does not understand the characters at all. Every mm. movie that they've made strikes me as complete boardroom think 
Man of Steel was amazing. Okay. I, 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 I love Man of that. Steel till the third act when it became like I was watching a CGI video game someone else was playing and people were getting slaughtered. I, it was a bit much for me, but I, I did love oh, yeah, Man of yeah, Steel yeah. up until then. I'm a big fan of the Zack well, I mean, Snyder it's, it's, DC it's a, movies. It's a Superman movie. It, it, it's a yeah. Superman movie. So yeah. yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be big and it's gonna be disastrous. And you know that you gotta like <laughs> create tragedy for Superman somehow. Sure, yeah. but um, Man of Steel was great. The only place I feel they shit the bed was when they uh, did Batman versus Superman because that was a dumb movie. That but evidently, you see, you have you seen the old? Yeah, have you have seen, you the, seen the, the three hour director's cut of it? Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, I have not seen the director's cut oh. of Batman. Versus oh Superman. well, see that's the I reason did. you got to see that. I did. I did see the <laughs> Snyder cut of the Justice League, Justice League. Movie, and the Justice League movie, the Snyder cut, totally different movie. It was. Excellent. I agree. It I agree. I like it much more. Yeah. My like wife watched now. all four yeah, hours of that movie one night. Yes, I, yeah. I did as well. Yeah. But now, but so so I mean I, I got to tell you, so Jahari, you just made I respect my case your... for me. Yeah. He just he just. Yeah, you just totally made my case for me. Thank, thank you. I but he didn't say, like yeah, the Flash. Well, there have been now, some good DC movies. Oh yeah. no, I make I say now, the same thing. I think Wonder Woman, the first one's a masterpiece. The first Shazam movie is a yeah. masterpiece. Lego Batman movie is a masterpiece. But Jahari, I, I really want to go see this one just as a as a comics fan, uh, and I and to see all the cameos in it and everything. But it's it sounds no, like you no, aren't surprised it. at the very poor box office. No, 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 go see it. I'm not trying to discourage you from from going to see it. Go see it and. And you know, figure it out for yourself whether you like it or not. <laughs> right on. <laughs> my feeling. Okay. I, after reading the comics, and yeah. I even watched the animated movie of Justice League: The Flashpoint Paradox. That is a great animated movie. Yeah. So did I. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I live with now, a fifth grader. Where I think they, where I think they messed up was putting two Ezra's in the movie. Mm. And Michael Keaton was easily, and Bob confirmed this for me or not, I think Michael Keaton was the best part of that movie. Agree. I totally agree. Michael the worst Keaton thing about that movie was, that movie. yeah, the worst part of The Flash, there were some dodgy uh, CG shots. Yeah, I heard that. And I, I didn't love the Ben Affleck Batman costume. I didn't right. love the CG Flash costume. It all looked fake and rubbery and not really well-defined and or well-designed uh, for that matter. Looked, Everything else was that, fine. That means, I, I mean, it wasn't my favorite movie in the world. I give it a and, B plus, you know, I, but I gotta, it was good. And, it was and, good. It was fun. And Jahari, we got to hit a... Go ahead. Last, I'll get the last word. The, the Affleck Batman costume reminded me of one of the video game costumes. But um, yes. in the animated movie, they did a Atlantis versus the Amazons thing. They did the, in yeah. the movie. They did this Kryptonians thing completely. I, 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 they lost me with that. All right. Well, I just want to point Thomas out Wayne, in defense yeah. of the film, and I, I haven't seen it yet, but by having two. Ezra Miller's together, one of them can keep the other one from abusing girls in the countryside while they're making the film. They chaperone each other. It's just to keep the kids safe. Jahari, thank you very much. Bob, how many women have we chased away tonight? I, I didn't even get to talk All to you about them. Rick Scott not wanting socialists in Florida. I guess he means FEMA. What's the best way to follow you, Mr. Seska, and all you're doing? Okay. Brand new episode of Trek Politics is out right now. It dropped today. Uh, Mary Trump and I talk about Strange New World Fantastic. Season 2, Episode 2. And then we talk to one of my favorite people in the whole world, the great Todd Stashwick, Captain Liam Shaw from Picard Season 3, one of my nice. favorite all-time guests. I've done so many interviews, and this... This one was in the top five. Todd Stashwick right on, is so great. Yeah, you got to hear this Can't episode. Can't wait. Bob, thank you for... 
thank you for getting me to do some pop culture in our summer shows. Have a great evening, sir. Quick break. We'll be right back with your call. So don't go away. This is Progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugel saying this is Progress After Dark. And happy birthday once again. To friend of the show, Mel Brooks, 97 years old today. If you'd like to hear our special we recorded with Mel and Carl Reiner, we did it in the middle of Carl's living room in Beverly Hills. You can hear that on Sirius XM On Demand or on the app. I'm John saying This is Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. Now, unless you were glued to the TV the entire weekend like me and other news nerds, you might find it a little bit confusing. What exactly is going on? In Russia, for about 36 hours, we had a very, very crazy roller coaster that looked at the end of it like it could be the beginning of the end of Vladimir Putin's rule. Everything seemed like it could not have possibly happened a year and a half ago. One of his most loyal henchmen comes out, a a monster who abused the Ukrainian people and tells the truth and slams the premise of the invasion and says that Ukraine was never uh, attacking. Then claims an airstrike by Russia was going after his troops, so takes a major military town without any Russian military getting in the way, marches within a few hundred miles of Moscow, not to stage a coup, just to kill the minister of defense. And then finally, the Kremlin claims Alexander Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, who Putin seems to hate, brokered some kind of deal where the insurrectionist gets to go to exile in Minsk and the mercenaries for hire presumably fall in line. The whole thing is madness. And I'm so glad we have David Rothkopf here. He is CEO of the Rothkopf Group, a media company that produces podcasts, including Deep State Radio. He's also the author of many books, including Running the World, The Inside Story of the National Security Council and the Architects of American Power, National Insecurity, Great Questions of Tomorrow, and of course, Traitor, a history of betraying America from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump and his book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation is out now. He's had some great pieces on Daily Beast, including Putin projects nothing but weakness. David Rothkopf, welcome back to Sirius XM. Nice to be back. How are you? Um, wonderful. It's a pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. I've, I've been trying to keep track of what's been going on in Russia like everyone else. And today we find out that General Sergei Surovikin, head of the Air Force, has been arrested. They think he might have possibly supported Prigozhin's mutiny. You'll understand my confusion that the actual mutineer gets to leave safely, but anyone who might have given him a hand is going to the gulag. Well, I don't think we know exactly what's happening here, uh, even 
yet. I mean, the, the sort of Eakin stories where he's been arrested, maybe he hasn't, maybe he's in this prison, maybe he isn't. Um, uh, there was a New York Times story that he knew about this before um, uh, this took place and that this may have been linked to the fact that a lot of people in the military um, sort of sat on their hands as Prigozhin made his way up the M4 highway in Russia on his way to Moscow. He got 100 miles away from Moscow. Um, Prigozhin was supposed to go to Belarus. Nobody's 100% sure where Belarus is. Uh, the <laughs> Wagner troops were supposed to um, uh, turn themselves in. Maybe they'd go to a camp in Belarus. Maybe they'd build one. Maybe it would be an old military base. Nobody's sure about that. Um, uh, the, the Wagner does some important things for Russia, essentially stealing stuff in Africa. Yes, and, they're all uh, over. And, and uh, Russia, uh, you know, sort of wants to put that under the ministry. No one's sure how that's going to work. Um, and, you know, Prigozhin, you know, looks like he dodged a bullet. But did he, you know, right. uh, I, I, I wrote in that column you referred to, uh, you know, if I were him, I would not buy any green bananas. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know what his future holds, but certainly he's going to sleep with one eye open every night. Um, yes. Now, having said that, um, you know, Putin is also going to sleep with one eye open now mm -hmm. um, because he saw this guy march across Russia without getting really stopped by anybody. He exactly. saw him take over the Southern Military Command. He saw that none of his political allies spoke out on his behalf. He saw, um, you know, that that that, you know, people were sort of waiting to see how this goes. And I got to tell you, you know, Prigozhin, um, for people who aren't following this closely, this is not, you know, Thomas Jefferson on a white horse. He, this is one of the worst guys in the world. And people were sitting on their hands as he was marching towards Moscow, which doesn't really, you know, speak very well of, of Putin. That's that's correct. I mean, I will give Prigozhin credit for telling the truth about the invasion, something I never expected and, and was maybe the most shocking element of all of this. But, you know, we were all waiting for Putin to finally make the speech. The entire world was wondering where he is, which indicates a lot of weakness on his part. And when he finally showed up, as you document very beautifully, he didn't really seem to be on his game. And at one point, he even talked about how brave the Russian forces were in putting down the rebellion. There was no putting down of any rebellion. I'm not even sure this was a, a, a rebellion, per se. It certainly wasn't a coup to overthrow Putin. And Prigozhin was pretty upfront about that the entire time. Yeah, for Prigozhin, I think it was a contract dispute. He was told, we're shutting down Wagner. He realized that meant, you know, a few hundred million dollars less per year to him and also less leverage to protect himself. Uh, he blamed it on the Ministry of Defense. And so he said, well, I'm going to go to the Ministry of Defense. I'm going to get rid of those guys. Uh, and he was very clear in his statement that he was not trying to kick Putin out. Um, I think what's significant is that all this shows a lot of weakness for Putin. Yeah. Uh, I think it's even more significant if you're Ukrainian because the Wagner troops are now out of Ukraine. Um, uh, one of Russia's military leaders looks likely out of the picture. Uh, mm -hmm. There will likely be more. Um, 
uh, Russia's defense establishment is distracted at the top. Uh, it seems likely that Putin is going to beef up his security around him uh, because of, of of what's happened here. You're absolutely right, by the way. The security services didn't do anything. It's a complete fraud that Putin said they saved him. Um, and, you know, if you're a Russian soldier, you know, stuck in the mud somewhere in Ukraine, you're going, I'm going to die for this. Um, exactly. and, and so, it, you know, it's a serious morale issue. Uh, so Putin is weakened. Russia's push within Ukraine is even more seriously weakened. Mm -hmm. And we saw something that everybody said never happens with Putin. Everybody says Putin is implacable. He's the tough guy. Nobody messes with Putin. You know, Putin will never negotiate. And he negotiated. He negotiated with Prigozhin, you know. And so I think everybody, you know, I mean, so, you know, in the past year and a half, all we do, you know, I'm sure you've been doing it on your show, is like every couple of months, there's a discussion. Should we give them tanks? Should we give them planes? Should we give them missiles? And there's always some group that goes, no, this will be a red line. Putin will launch an attack on the West or he'll use exactly. nuclear weapons. It's never happened. It's never happened. Putin's red lines are illusory. Putin, the tough guy, uh, like many tough guys, if you sort of smack him across the face, he folds. Yes. And and that's 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 where we are with this guy. You know, I, I don't know whether he'll last six months or he'll last six more years. But, you know, we're we're closer to the end of Putin than we are to the beginning. Amen. It began this weird little non-insurrection with me thinking, is this the end of the Iraq, the, the end of there? I just did it. The Iraq war, <laughs> the same brain fart Biden had. I thought, is this the end of the Ukraine war? And, and You're, you are too, you are too old to be president. I just... <laughs> but by this by this weekend, I thought, my God, this this could be the end of Putin. And I've been wondering, will Putin get Putin or will Prigozhin get Putin? Why wouldn't Putin, being the KGB old hand that he is, not have a button man right there in the ranks to take out Prigozhin if this ever happened. But you, you bring up a fascinating point about his television address, how the, the latter part of his statement was directed at the Wagner soldiers. And yeah, these guys are stationed all over Africa, thousands in each nation, just plundering resources. But Putin said the 25,000 or so that, that was marching towards Moscow would be forgiven if they reported into the Ministry of Defense and signed up for the Russian military and renounced the Prigozhin plot. But you mentioned that a few hours earlier, Prigozhin made a statement where he said the majority of his troops were never going to do that. You say that this was weak on Putin's part, that it was a plea. Why was it so pathetic for him to come out and make this offer to his own troops on television? Well, you just answered your own question, right? They're his troops. He's the yeah. dictator of Russia. Nobody, you know, everybody thinks, you know, this is the guy who's in charge of everything. The thing he could have said was do X or else, you know, or he could have That's had it. somebody else say do X or else. But instead, he was on TV acknowledging he had been attacked, um, acknowledging that there was a real threat of a civil war in his country and essentially, you know, begging these, hey, look, you know, go sign up at the Ministry of Defense. We'll let you off the hook. He was saying on national television, you know, oh, yeah, you attacked me, but uh, let's look the other way. Let's buy guns, be buy guns, which is definitely not Putin's brand. And You're every right. single Russian who is listening to this thing 
um, said, what? You know, it's like, you know, what's 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 going on here? Nobody looks at Putin the same way today that they did last Thursday. I keep thinking back to Putin year one and the invasion of Chechnya and how Putin thought nothing of slaughtering 50,000 people and 14,000 Russian troops in the bargain. The opera house hostages. Putin didn't care that hundreds of them would be slaughtered right there. He cast himself as the ruthless strongman with his very first ever real incursion. And now we look at this and it just seems like we've heard for so many years that everyone else is playing checkers and Putin's playing 3D chess. I I will say Robert Mueller convinced me that Putin's hacking of our election was very sophisticated and brilliant. But at this point, is it just that there's no air waiting in the wings. I mean, there is no Putin or Brezhnev or Yeltsin waiting to take over once he's gone. Could that be the thing that saves him? Uh, I think that is the thing that saves him. And he's been working on that for a long time, you know, um, in a perverse sense. He gets the credit for that because every time there's been an opposition leader, he's killed them or he's thrown them in jail or they've fallen off a balcony or they've gotten poisoned someplace. And so, uh, you know, it has been very bad for your health to oppose Putin. Uh, now, people are starting to see something slightly different. And yeah. this is just one of those things where you can't afford that. You can't you can't afford, you know, for a group of guys to get together and say, you know, if we do X, um, then, uh, you know, we might get away with it. And that's that's the question that's sort of floating over the minds of all of these uh, people who might lead this uh, right now. I think it's going to take a long time for somebody to emerge. Uh, But I'll tell you what, the thing that is most likely to move us a step closer to the end of Putin is for Ukraine to uh, start kicking some butt and taking advantage of this moment. Um, and that is why, you know, I think, you know, and, and, and I have a new column that's up at the Daily Beast any minute now that essentially says this is a moment to take opportunity, you know, to an opportunity to seize. Yes. Uh, and we, we've already seen a little bit of it, right? You know, you made reference to it. It's kind of interesting. The U.S. intelligence community has started leaking stuff saying, oh, yeah, they knew about this long before. Uh, clearly, Putin didn't know about this long before, because when they started going up the M4, he was like, whoa, you know, let's let's put park trucks on the highway to block them. They were not prepared uh, for this. And so the U.S. intelligence community is tweaking them. The Ukrainian intelligence and other Western services are going to fan the flames here a little bit. Uh, I think getting more weapons, giving the Ukrainians a bigger hand right now to take advantage of the absence of Wagner and the turmoil in the Russian military um, is another thing to do. I think making a big push diplomatically to countries that sort of signed on with Russia and said, hey, you know, this is our guy and and saying to them, you know, maybe he's not your guy is another thing we could do. And I think if we do those things and this war goes more and more adversely for Putin, Uh, you're going to get more and more people going, this has got to stop. 
And is it fair to say that the Ukrainian war and Zelensky have already softened up Putin quite a bit? I mean, let's not forget all the economic sanctions and the boycotts and all the Russian folks who kind of got used to having Starbucks and Ikeas in their country, and now those are gone. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And rest assured, Prigozhin would not have done this. Nobody would have ever heard of Prigozhin uh, in the West if things were going well in Ukraine. But things were going badly in Ukraine. And they were like, well, we've got to change things up a bit. And that's, you know, and, and Prigozhin sensed some weakness atop the Ministry of Defense um, and thought he could take advantage of it. And that wouldn't have happened if things were going well in Ukraine either. So mm. they know it's going badly. Um, and, you know, this this uh, counteroffensive the Ukraine has launched has gained some ground. And people have talked, well, it's going slowly. But the Ukrainian military leadership today said, look, we haven't really started the big push. You'll know it when it happens. Uh, so, you know, I'm optimistic. I, I would say cautiously optimistic that more progress can be made and that every gain Ukraine makes, every loss Russia has, you know, pulls, you know, uh, you know, you know, a Jenga peg out of out of out of Putin's tower of power. Exactly. And at, at a certain point, you know what happens in Jenga. But I think that's what makes this whole incident so screwball to me, David. I mean, Prigozhin's statement that he, he went out of his way to say, I'm not challenging Putin. I have no problem with the commander in chief. I just want to kill one defense minister and then we'll return to the front. The only thing more remarkable to me than that was the truth that Prigozhin told. I mean, he's been making public statements for a while, but he's been saying and broadcasting all over the country to the fury of Russian state TV anchors that Putin's entire rationale for attacking Ukraine has always been a lie and that the men have been cannon fodder. How noteworthy is it that that statement made its way around the country? Super noteworthy, because as you point out, the, the broadcast media um, in Russia was not carrying this story. Um, social media that did carry the story was shut down. All of a sudden, this guy did something that sort of forced them to carry it, and he even took over some media in doing it. Um, and this raises a question because, you know, they may not be seeing the stories, but they may know some young man that's gone off to fight this war and hasn't come wow. back. And that fans the flame of uh, political unrest. They know their economy is in deep trouble. You know, they they talk a good game about it, but it's in deep trouble. Uh, it is shrinking. Uh, the prices they're getting for the resources they produce are going down around the world. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Russia is in free fall right now. And uh, Putin's legacy is clearly going to be somebody. He, he wanted to be the guy who restored the empire that existed during the Soviet Union. Um, right. uh, and, and, and right now, it looks like his legacy is going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be um, uh, collapse and decay. Isn't it amazing that the Russian people, for all the the celebration of the 1917 revolution, just they they seem to like having a czar, David? They, I mean, you could say Khrushchev was a czar, Stalin was a czar, Brezhnev was a czar. These guys stay in power for a very very long time, and and I'm a little bit 
terrified that the only thing worse than Putin could be the amorphous question mark that follows him. Are you at all afraid of repercussions from this? I mean, I I heard about more dead civilian children in Ukraine today, and I thought, my God, he's going to be merciless to try and distract the narrative. He's always been merciless. You know, that's you, you said it earlier. It's a signature of his. It was in Chechnya. It was in Syria. It was in the first phases of this war. Uh, his army has killed tens of thousands of innocent people, destroyed, obliterated uh, cities full of innocent people, uh, raped, murdered, committed war crimes, wholesale slaughter of the other side. Uh, he's a terrible guy doing terrible things. Uh, I think, you know, there is a cautionary tale in this that is not just about the Russian appetite for authoritarianism. Uh, There's an American appetite for authoritarianism. Uh, Donald Trump talks about how strong Putin is, how strong Xi Jinping is, how strong Kim Jong-un is. Uh, he talks about how he wish he could, you know, put people to death. He wishes he could suspend the Constitution. Um, uh, Ron DeSantis, you know, kicks the media out of press conferences. He fires people who are opposed to him. Uh, same things are happening in red states across America. This is all creeping authoritarianism. And there are a lot of people out there in America Fortunately, I don't think it's a majority, but there are a lot of people in America, tens of millions, who say, I'd rather have a strong government that supported my values or my beliefs than a free government. I see freedom as the threat because some of those ideas, like right. you know, people being able to choose who they marry or women being able to have control over their own bodies, they see that as a threat. Um, And so they'll take anything. There's no country in the world that's immune to the idea of a strong leader. uh, And we have to fight that all the time. I I think about your former boss, President Clinton, when he said the American people would rather vote for someone strong and wrong than weak and right. But at the same time, we're witnessing Donald Trump sort of going through a, a shadow parallel to what Vladimir Putin's going through in that the House of Cards may be collapsing. You had a great, and I must say, hilarious piece last week I wanted to bring up where you said Donald Trump is about to have his wily Coyote moment. He's got the Acme rocket strapped to his back and he's taking off. And you write, he will soon look down to discover he's over the cliff and there's nothing and no one left to support him. The implosion we're witnessing has been fascinating, don't you think? I think it has been, you know, I mean, I'm I'm one of these kind of old fashioned guys that when a guy says, you know, he can grab women down there that, you know, he's accused by 20 odd women of being a sex abuser. He's been sued 3000 times in his life or he's, you know, notable tax fraudster. He says, hey, I'm going to reach out to the Russians or he's impeached twice or whatever. I, I would have thought that would have disqualified him, you know. Yeah. But now it looks like. You know, you know, he says I could murder somebody on Fifth Avenue and 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 it looks like maybe. But what if there are four, five, six major cases against you, federal cases, state cases and those kind of things? And I think, you know, although there have been some recent polls that show he does OK within the Republican primary audience and TV news loves to talk about that stuff. 
Oh, yes. I, I think we have to remember that registered Republicans are 25 to 30 percent of all voters, and mm -hmm. he's got 25 to 30 percent of them. That's okay. It. Which so, so, so he's got like 10 percent of voters. It's the biggest block in the Republican Party. So that gives him an edge. But Look at recent elections. Look at the midterms. Look at the interims. Look at the special elections. Look at Kansas. Look at Wisconsin. What has happened in all those elections? When they run extreme right wingers, they That's lose. Right. And they don't just a lose a little. They lose 55%, 56%, 60% against. And, you know, I think that's where this is headed. And that's why I mean Trump's going to be out there, his legs are going to be churning. You know, he's going to think, oh, this this work, you know, it's working for me again. And then he's going to look down and realize he's over the abyss. And, you know, then, you know, what happens, a little cloud of dust and um, and and that. And I, you know, that's that's where I think it's heading for him. Uh, I could be wrong and I don't think we should be complacent about it. Um, but I bet my, my personal bet is Donald Trump is not the Republican candidate. And I know that literally every pundit out there is saying he will be but it's my yeah. personal bet that he will not be who do you think would be the best candidate for 82 year old incumbent joseph biden to defeat well first of all uh i mean i i i think joseph biden will defeat any of them i mean i, I saw a poll today on wisconsin and you know he, he 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 beats desantis by less than he beats trump he's, he has a nine nine percent lead over trump in wisconsin um uh and his lead is growing in certain key swing states but but i'll tell you i i don't think the election is about joe biden versus donald trump or joe biden That's versus right. ron DeSantis. i think the election is kind of you know I, I might characterize it as um the six conservative justices on the supreme court versus the Democratic Party, because I think what is going to get people to turn out is their feelings on abortion, their feelings yes. on guns, their feelings on climate, their feelings on democracy. And the Democrats are going to come out to protect the country. And uh, this is going to carry Biden, but it's going to carry all these other people as well. Uh, and you know, Joe Biden's got a great record and he should win on the basis of his record. He's got a great team. So yes, people should not be going, oh, I don't I worry about his age or whatever. He's got the best team I have seen. And I've been writing about this stuff for 30 years, writing books about how the White House works. And he's got the best team I've seen in there. Um, but I think, you know, we have to ask, what is it that motivates somebody to vote? What is it that will get young people out to vote? What is it will get women out to vote? What is it will get the base out to vote that will make more Democrats show up than more Republicans? And That's I think right. the answer is these issues where people see their freedoms are being pared away and they don't want that to happen. David Rothkopf, it is always such a pleasure to have you here and to benefit from your expertise. The newest piece in Daily Beast is coming out tonight, but the more recent one is Putin projects nothing but weakness. What is the best way, sir, for our listeners to follow you to keep up with all your work? I write several pieces for the Daily Beast each week. They can follow me on Twitter at DJ Rothkopf. They can go to the DSRnetwork.com, which is our podcast network, and all the stuff we do is up there. Thank you so much. Your last two pieces about Putin have been completely brilliant, and it's always a great pleasure to have you join us here on the show. Thanks a million. Uh, thanks a lot, Chuck. Bye.
We got him to take a quick break. When we come back, it's going to be your calls all the way until midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. Let's have some fun. I want to hear from you. The party begins now. 866-997-GRIT. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. Once again, nothing but love for Robert Kennedy Jr., in general, he's always welcome back on the show. I don't think the White House is terrified of his campaign. I mean, for all the support he's getting from right-wing folks, he's polling at 14%, which is about 50 points behind Joe Biden at 64%. You might say Joe Biden, if he wants to be worried about a challenger, should look to Professor Cornell West, who uh, just gave an interview on C-SPAN explaining... And I love Cornell West, why he decided to run as a third party candidate and how the two party system has failed the promise of America. Give a listen. For me, it's a matter of raising my voice and making sure that we acknowledge the ways in which the two party system is an impediment for dealing with the problems of poor and working people here and around the world. Both parties tied to big money. Both parties tied to Wall Street, Pentagon, big militarism, 800 military units abroad. U.S. troops in 150 countries, 57 cents for every dollar going to the military. We need jobs with a living wage. We need decent housing. We need quality education. A whole host of basic social needs among the masses of Americans. And you can imagine, you know, disproportionately black and brown and indigenous peoples who are wrestling with this poverty. I want the abolition of poverty. I don't want to parcel clips that abolition of poverty and homelessness. I want jobs with a living wage across the board. I want a U.S. foreign policy that's not tied just to big money and corporate interests. I want a foreign policy that acknowledges the way in which America is a nation among nations. We don't have to be the policemen of the world. I love Cornell West. I love his books. I love Race Matters. I, I loved his his poetry album. I didn't love him in The Matrix 2 and 3, but um, I'm not against third parties. Lincoln was a third party president. He got in there with 38% of the vote. But Cornell West is going to have to explain to us how this campaign, now that he's going to be probably the Green Party nominee, is not going to exist just to suck votes away from Joe Biden in swing states. None of these men have uteruses. All right, we got to hit it. Uh, guys, thank you for a great show. Thank you, David Rothkoff. Thank you, Thea Harper. And thank you to Bob Seska. We'll be back tomorrow on Sirius XM Progress. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.